Hi, and welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 17, Two Artists in a Truck, Urban Sketching with Captain Tom. Before I jump into the interview, here's what's been happening uh, over the last couple of weeks or so. I'm still playing with a bit more graphite. I did a, a sketch of an Arctic wolf. It was, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of into fur at this point, and so uh, I thought the Arctic wolf would have a different texture than the um, than the grizzly bear I did a few weeks ago. So that was fun. I'm going to probably do a few more of these. Uh, I was still playing with graphite, and um, probably getting back into some digital as well. I'll talk about that in a minute over the next uh, couple of weeks. And in uh, follow-up to a previous podcast, I'm still doing uh, sketches on Wednesdays when I can fit it in. So for We Draw Wednesdays, which was created by uh, Tiff Arment, this past week I got uh, recommendations for a frog, a turtle, and a fancy pigeon. So I thought I would roll them up together in the same image. So uh, you can check that out uh, with a link in the show notes, but I put a frog on top of a turtle and a fancy pigeon. I'm not really sure what they're doing. I had a feeling that maybe the fancy pigeon was keeping the frog and the turtle out of a, a party that was maybe for birds only. But either way, it was just a bit of fun. So I'm still using the Pentel Graph Gear 1000 uh, mechanical pencil, 0.3 millimeter. I have three of them, one loaded with 2H, the other with HB, and the other with uh, 2B. And uh, so I use a mix of those three when I'm doing my graphite work, at least uh, recently. I have used the Stadler stuff in the past, but uh, for this stuff, just because I like the detail, I've been playing with the uh, the Pentel Graph Gear 1000, and I've been pretty happy with that. I finally received my Paperlike 2, which is a screen protector for the iPad Pro. I've got a 12.9-inch 2018 iPad Pro. I had the original Paperlike. And I took it off after a day. I didn't like it. It was too much rainbow effect when I was using uh, like a white canvas. You would see this kind of speckled rainbow effect. I thought the texture was okay for the tip of the uh, the pencil. So the intent with this protector is it's supposed to protect the screen, obviously. But um, people buy them more so to um, to decrease the number of fingerprints, but also add a bit of uh, tooth to the Apple Pencil, so when you're drawing, it feels more like paper. And so that's really why I bought the original paper like. But as I said, I took it off after a day. I tried it again, because it comes with two. I tried it again a few weeks later. Still not happy with it, so I've been using it without any screen protector until I got this paper like two. I installed it, and I have to say it's a really easy install, so don't be... Uh, make sure you watch the video first, but it's a, a really easy install to get this uh, paper like onto your iPad Pro as long as you follow the instructions. And uh, I did that, and it stayed on. <laughs> I haven't taken it off. And uh, it still has some tooth, so there's a bit of texture there when you're drawing. But uh, it doesn't have that kind of rainbow effect in white. And so I've been really happy with it. Once again, decreased fingerprints uh, on the screen, lack of the rainbow. It looks fantastic. So I'm really, really happy with the paper like two. I think it's going to stay on. It comes with two. So I'll provide a link in the show notes on where to get it. But uh, And they're not sponsoring this. I, I bought it myself. And uh, I'm really happy. I think it's, uh, for a lot of people, this is going to make sense. I think it's the, I've tried two others. So I tried the paper like and something else from Amazon. This is by far the best. And so it gives you that tooth. 
Uh, it doesn't really impact the screen brightness, but if you get light the right way on it, it will um, provide a weird reflection. But I'm I'm happy with that. Uh, I really uh, I really think I'm going to keep this one on, and uh, there's no reason at this point I've had it on for about a week now, and I'm just going to keep it uh, keep it on the screen. So I think it looks great. So with the holidays coming up, I've decided I'm not going to have a show uh, that would normally be published on December 30th. I won't be back uh, with a new show until January 13th, 2020, so that'd be two weeks after that. But uh, keep an eye on Instagram. I'm going to be posting a fair bit over the holidays, and I'm also going to try some Instagram TV, so some IGTV as well. So I'm going to post at least two videos, I think, over the holidays. So uh, follow me on Instagram. The link is in the show notes, and I'll mention it at the end of the show as well. And uh, that will be a way to kind of keep up to date. And then you'll hear me back again on January 13th with a regular show. So I thought I would just take that time off uh, over the holidays, and I hope you do the same. And I'll be talking to you back then on the 13th. Before we begin the interview, just a reminder to please check out the show notes at drawinginspiration.fm for this and every show. As we cover a lot of material, and it's all in the show notes, uh, so I would encourage you to please check those out. Also, this is the first time I've done a podcast in a parked vehicle, so I apologize for any audio glitches and foxes along the way. Yes, foxes. You'll find out more in the episode. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I did talking to Captain Tom. My guest this week works as an art director in animation with clients such as Disney, Netflix, Nickelodeon, and he also has a small skateboard shop called Burling. As an artist, he has documented many of his travels from Ottawa to Vietnam, Newfoundland, and recently Palestine. His urban sketching style is unmistakable. Welcome to the show, Tom Paddlehauser, a.k.a. Captain Tom. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. So I think the first thing I need to, uh, to ask you about is, what's with the Captain Tom? Yeah, that's a very, very common question that I get uh, asked often, and sadly, there is no good story behind it. You know, my my last name being Eastern European or Slovak in nature was hard for people to pronounce and or spell, so I just kind of took on a silly um, nickname and used to sign birthday cards in high school with Captain Tom, and it eventually just stuck as like a skateboard nickname. That's cool. And I think the skateboarding is something we're going to keep coming back to again and again, probably through this interview, right? Like well, that is core yeah, to you. Skateboarding has kind of dictated the course of my life um, up until this point still. So. <laughs> Maybe I can ask you, before we go back and talk about your childhood, if you can describe urban sketching for someone who hasn't heard about it before, trying to understand what it is, because I think that'll be a common thread through all of this. Yeah, sure. So actually, urban sketching is something that I've um, only recently discovered as a community. Um, I didn't know that I was an urban sketcher for a very long time. I just, um, we can get into that a little later from my story, but yeah, urban sketching is basically, uh, sketching live on location, what you see in cities and towns. So buildings, streetscapes, people living their everyday life. Yeah. And just filling up travel sketchbooks with those kinds of drawings. Awesome. So, if we go back in time <laughs> to you, to young Captain Tom or maybe uh, Private Tom, <laughs> let's, um, go, let's go back to Thomas. When did you start with art? Was it something you did as a child? Uh, is it something you've always been kind of drawn to? Yeah, I mean, every, I mean, basically every kid starts as an artist, right? We all 
drew in school, drew for fun, painted, sculpted, created, crafted. Um, unfortunately, that gets beaten out of us as we enter adulthood. But um, I guess what really shifted my focus to taking art more seriously or trying to pursue art as a, as a hobby or passion or even a career was um, just growing up skateboarding. You know, as you saw when we were visiting my shop, art is a very heavy embedded component of the culture and lifestyle of skateboarding. Um, every single skateboard has an artist design the graphic that goes on the bottom. You know, a lot of them have really intricate, awesome backstories. Some are just, you know, a can of beer or something. <laughs> but yeah, uh, within skateboarding, you know, growing up being surrounded by that art and copying it and like doing little skateboard logos and sketchbooks with my friends. Um, as we got older, we saw that a lot of the older guys skateboarding were also artists, um, you know, the same way that I, I became um, while following them. So yeah, a lot of the guys, a lot of the older guys that I grew up around were graffiti artists in the 90s, um, painters, graphic designers. And um, for me as a young skater growing up, it just seemed like something you're supposed to do as you get older in skateboarding is also be an artist because that's just what my exposure was. Yeah. And so did you, from that, did you pursue it in school? Um, yeah. I mean, in high school, once again, in high school, I was still, you know, influenced by the older skaters. Um, a lot of my friends, you know, uh, Chris LaSalle, Julian Garner, Patrick Dyer, these are, were all guys that I idolized growing up. And uh, in high school, you know, we had art class that nobody took seriously. You know, I didn't go to an art school, so art class was basically abuse the teacher time <laughs> right. um, in which I took it a little more seriously, you know, tried to study a little harder in that class versus other courses, painted a little bit, took some classes at the Ottawa School of Arts and um, yeah, just started, started sketching and trying to get better to fit in with my buds. Okay. And from there, did you, uh, did you have a career in mind? I did not have a career in mind. I mean, all I wanted to do was draw because it was fun. You know, um, I, if you look through my old sketchbooks, there's like, I would draw like portraits of girls or like graffiti tags. There was, there wasn't really a rhyme or reason to anything that I was doing, but just kind of following suit. But, um, near the end of high school, I discovered animation or the animation industry here in Ottawa. It's like a hidden little gem that we have. And, um, I was looking for a co-op placement in grade 11 in high school. Like we, you know, it's a, a course you can take where you just get plugged into a working environment and, you know, help photocopy or stable stuff. And my dad was uh, running his uh, hardwood flooring business at the time and I was working for him. And there was a guy that worked for my dad as well who lived with a guy who worked in animation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how I discovered that that industry exists because he was telling me, he's like, oh, like, like, um, talk to my buddy, AJ. He, he says the studio he works at always takes students because, you know, animation is a, is a labor driven artistic field that requires on, uh, you know, some grunts by being coffee gophers and scanning stuff. So I, I started co-op in grade 11 at a studio called Mercury Filmworks. So it was actually their first year that they opened here in Ottawa and they became a, a giant pr producing some of the world's best animation here in Ottawa. Yeah, that's when I started to consider animation as an actual career opportunity after high school. You know, you can, you can take courses on animation and, uh, yeah, it was just nice to see that you can actually earn a living and have a job drawing and creating. Right. And you're still doing that. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I think it's been 15 years now wow. that I've been working in animation. And you enjoy it still? Aspects of it, yeah, <laughs> for sure. No, it's 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 like any. Like I'm I'm a little jaded by now. You know, yeah. f- 15 years doing something um, does um, take away the magic of it. But every project that we do in animation has its own unique circumstances, either creative. Uh, artistically or creative with a budget or creative with speed. So every project that we work on has its own sets of challenges um, to figure out. So it's kind of month to month, you're doing something completely different and that keeps it interesting. Like I've, I discovered that I like less the art of producing work in animation than the actual problem solving on how to make the most beautiful product as fast as possible and for as little money as you possibly can. (laughs) So through this journey, you've also started this uh, skateboard shop called Burling. Yep. And how long ago was that? We are entering our fourth year this April. Wow. That's awesome. That we opened Burling. Yeah. So it's uh, myself and four friends. And um, so we were back at your shop. We mm -hmm. met at your shop. So we're actually in Ottawa. And and I'll talk about where we're actually recording now because I think that's kind of fun. I'll I'll take a few pictures that I'll put in the show notes. Um, But we met at your shop. And it's a beautiful shop. It's not what you expect in a skateboard shop. I've never skateboarded. I grew up in the country where asphalt was on the highway. <laughs> and that was it. So skateboarding wasn't really an option. And uh, to walk into your shop, it feels like it's a lifestyle. Um, it's a uh, it's a boutique in the sense that it's, it's a mix of there's skateboards, but there's also clothing and your art and coffee, which was fantastic. And uh, so you hopped in the truck and we're sitting out here on a Sunday morning in an Ottawa winter with our sketchbooks drawn in my truck looking at Parliament Hill. So in kind of reflecting back on our conversation at, at Burling, can you maybe talk about uh, what is Burling, what you do there, what your goal is, and and how that kind of weaves into your kind of creative pursuits as well? Sure. So yeah, Burling, Burling's our, our little skateboard shop here in Ottawa. And uh, yeah, we opened that one uh, four years ago this April, I, which I, I'm having a hard time believing. And, uh, yeah, it bas- it's basically kind of a, a roundabout journey taking my art and career that started from, you know, being a little skateboard kid and now kind of reinvesting all the skills and experiences that I've acquired over the years back into skateboarding. So, you know, for me growing up, you know, visiting various skateboard shops, the most important thing for me was, uh, you know, community and socializing, not to mention, you know, good products that are in demand. So our little skateboard shop is basically our version of growing up skateboarding uh, with a little bit of experiences as adults brought into it. So, you know, I believe that a skateboard shop should be the center for culture of skateboarding in a city. That's why we do the coffee. That's why we have seating in the front. We have a patio in a little parklet patio for the summertime. It's a place where people can hang out. And that for me is the most important thing, you know, selling clothing, boots and shoes and skateboards. That's nice. You know, it's nice to offer a product that that you can't really find anywhere else, but it's also important to have people hanging out there, kids coming by and also seeing what we do and what our experiences are. You know, I put a lot of work into our graphics and uh, artwork and design, and I hope that kids will appreciate that and, and get into art and sketching and drawing themselves. And maybe everybody wants their journey to be kind of passed on to the next person, you know? Right. It's nice. It'd be nice to yeah, have kids influenced in a positive way. Do you think skateboarders now 
look at the art as, well, that's just something you do later on as a skateboarder? Do you think that's still the mindset? I don't know. It's hard to say. Skateboarding is in a weird place right now. Like skateboarding is its own, as a culture, is its own worst enemy. It's so counterculture that it destroys itself at times. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's counterculture and it's in its roots and still is, which I love. Skateboarding is one of the few things or one of the few things that I've experienced in my life that the only thing that's actually respected in skateboarding is the best skateboarding. You know, like even for us, you know, we do coffee, we do art, we do uh, locally sourced, domestically designed and manufactured products, all this stuff that we just like kill ourselves over. And people only kind of care. What it comes down to is the actual uh, level of skateboarding that our, our team produces, that we produce, and um, whether whether kids are going to grow up thinking that that's normal or not is secondary to the fact that once it becomes popular and accepted, it's going to be uncool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's cyclical. It's like anything, anything underground and cool that you start for all the right reasons eventually becomes popular enough that you know, if your mom's following it or enjoying it, then it's not cool anymore. <laughs> so, so we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully, when we get you know dissolved one day, we will have left enough of a footprint or an impact on on people to do something good. Nice. So uh, when it comes back to the urban sketching, uh, you've done some interesting pieces and we can go into some of your travels and uh, the coffee cups, <laughs> which we'll talk about as well. It's going to be a lot of coffee talk in yeah. this, uh, in this show. Is that, at what point did you decide I'm an urban sketcher, uh, that I'm going to take this seriously and I'm going to pursue it. And, and, you know, the, I came across you because I was looking at urban sketching. I had no idea what it was six months ago. And I decided to explore the world and find out, you know, what's going on with urban sketching, what tools do you need, what are the rules of engagement <laughs> as to, you know, what to draw and how to draw it and all this kind of stuff. And it ended up that one of the people that is respected, I would say worldwide for his urban sketching, was 20 minutes from my house. <laughs> and uh, it was through a local Facebook group where you had done a workshop which I didn't know about until it had happened. And it was like, wow, I didn't realize that Captain Tom is in Ottawa. <laughs> and so back to my question is, when did you decide you're an urban sketcher? When did you decide that, you know, this is something I do and I've got to, uh, uh, you know, do more of it and share more of it? Good question. I guess I, I accepted my role in the urban sketching community last summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, um, a good friend of mine, Cindy Foreman here in Ottawa, she's been, she's been, um, kind of a big influence on my urban sketching and path into urban sketching. You know, she's been a good, a really nice supporter and, uh, full of information about the community. And yeah, it was really last summer when I did my workshop here in Ottawa, I'm like, okay, I guess I'm an urban sketcher. I'm going to start looking into this. You know, I've, I learned last summer about the urban sketcher symposium that happens every year. Uh, I'm going to do everything I can to attend this year. I'm still waiting to hear where they're going to be relocating because it was supposed to be in Hong Kong. Right. Right. Yep. And yeah, I just, it's cool to kind of discover that. I mean, I, I started doing this stuff quite literally just to practice to be better at my job. So I work as an art director now, but I started with my first, um, you know, career entrance and initial passion in animation as a background artist. So I started as a, um, a layout cleanup artist. So basically what that means is in a feature film, a live action film, every time you cut to a different angle, you move the camera, right? In animation, there is no camera. 
you draw another picture. So every time, you know, say you and I are having a conversation in this car, I say something to you, the camera's on me. And then you say something back, the camera then switches to you. And then if we talk long enough, we want to tell the story to the audience of where we are. So the camera's going to cut wide to us sitting in this cold truck. (laughs) (laughs) And so those are three drawings that myself and a team would have had to do in animation. Mm -hmm. So when you're drawing backgrounds, you have to worry about composition. You have to worry about cinematography. You have to worry about perspective, proportion, line quality, all of that stuff. And it's incredibly difficult to do, um, especially when characters are interacting with those environments, because we all know what a person is supposed to look like next to the height of a door. We all know what a person is supposed to look like getting into a car. You know, we're used to we're familiar with seeing these things on a on a daily basis. So it's very important that a background artist understands that there's baseboards on the bottom of the floor, that there's trim around a door, where the height of the doorknob is. So these are all things you have to practice. And the best way to practice those things is by studying them. I started an animation before Google Images was a thing. <laughs> so you know, I'm not that old, but now that I see the, the, the young generation coming into the studio, I'm, I'm one of the seniors in, in the animation <laughs> studio. So, um, yeah, the best, best way to study the world and to be able to build a reference library in your head in order to make you faster and more effective at, at your job as a background artist is to study the world around you. You know, so I would, uh, you know, draw buildings because buildings are easier. They're static. They're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but relatively difficult to a beginner. So, Understanding the perspective of the building you're looking at, um, the height of a stop sign next to a door, you know, these are all things that you just have to sketch and study. And uh, even now that we have Pinterest and Google image search and, and, and Instagram and Tumblr, all these great reference libraries online, it still doesn't do for an artist that goes out and sketches in their environment that much. Like you don't know what it feels like to be there Mm -hmm. you know so sketching on site you you not only capture the likeness of something but you're also capturing the mood and the feeling of being there Mm -hmm. and in animation that's incredibly important because we're trying to captivate and capture an audience right so it's not only what does it look like for tom and mike to be chatting in his truck right now but what does it also feel like and that's something that you can't really deduce from a photograph right so Sorry, I, I told you before we started this that I ramble. <laughs> I, I like talking about this stuff. So so back to the question, um, I was just drawing as much as possible because I hated being indoors drawing from photos because of, like I said, uh, capturing the mood and the feeling of a place started to become more important to me than capturing the likeness because as you're practicing, you're getting better and capturing the likeness of a place became easy. So now my focus shifted from not what does it look like to be at this place what does it feel like to be at this place and um, as i was practicing it completely consumed me and now i can't stop drawing i actually take time off work to go sketch and i find working uh gets in the way of my urban sketching (laughs) so it's kind of the tables have turned in a unique way but i've got a very kind and understanding boss so it's yeah i think that's and i found it the same way where you you know I, I sketch at lunch and mm-hmm. I'm in an environment where it's hard to get kind of away from, from things and to, uh, and to do this, but, uh, I do find time at lunch. I've, I do agree that, you know, in, I haven't done a lot of urban sketching, but in the work that I've done, I look back at the pieces and I, it's so interesting looking at it because I can, I remember how warm it was. I remember the breeze. I remember what I did just after that. I remember my daughter asked me a question midway mm-hmm. through it. It really becomes, and unfortunately, it's hard to share some of that, mm-hmm. apart from showing someone the, 
the painting or the image. It's very personal. Yeah, it is very personal, which and is which is which is awesome. Yeah, I think it ends up. Uh, I keep saying that you know when I have a chance to draw or to paint or whatever the case, I, I'm a better person at the mm-hmm. end of that. And you probably would agree with that, right? Mm-hmm. The, the fact that you're reaching for this now is yeah, it's an experience. It's a sport. Like for me, I care less now about what the image is going to look like. Well, obviously you have to care right. a little bit, but it's more the sport of it, you know, like using inks, using watercolors and having people asking you questions or asking you for change or to take a photo while you're drawing. That's, that's awesome. And like you just said, when you look back at your drawings, there's two things that happen. One is, is a overwhelming amount of, of memory surges into your brain, you know, mm-hmm. smells, moments, conversations, but also, I don't know if it's the same for you, but a lot of artists uh, are self-loathing and they hate their work. I'm 100% one of those. I, I absolutely hate looking back at any work, but the travel sketches, because of the nature of how they were drawn, are are very forgiving to look back on. I'm like, the mistakes are part of it. And I've, I've learned to accept that that's the sport of urban sketching is making mistakes and dealing with them. And, uh, yeah, like you said, looking, looking back at those drawings is, is, I think it's what's going to keep our brains sharp when we start to fade <laughs> in our older years for sure. Yeah. I think that's it's an, a, it's a retirement investment for the mind. Right. Yeah. I think that you have a good point about the, um, the idea that it is, um, that urban sketching is a bit more forgiving and, you know, when I, um, I had a previous guest on, we were talking about that, you know, when I'm, if I'm out urban sketching, it's so funny because people will come by and say, oh, what are you drawing? And, and you maybe just started doing a, a rough sketch in pencil. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, you know, just, you, you come too early. Yeah. You're <laughs> just, just making excuses right away. <laughs> yeah, just come back later. I just yeah. started. Um, and I feel like when you do post, if you do decide to share an urban sketch online, uh, through Instagram or whatever the case, it is a bit more forgiving in the sense that, you know what, it, it was just, it, it was something I did quickly, mm-hmm. right? So the fact that you may think the colors are wrong or the composition slightly off or my lines are too thick, whatever the case, it was just a sketch mm-hmm. as opposed to a finished piece where you feel there's a lot more judgment. And yeah. I, I do look back at my work and I think I, I could have done that way better. I, I can't believe people didn't notice that the eyes are too wide mm-hmm. or whatever the case. But um, I, I do think that we need those moments in time to get better as well. And I think people need to embrace what they've done and not necessarily throw it out or put it aside, but to use it as as a mile marker along that journey, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I uh, sometimes I will actually say, you know, this is a thirty minute sketch or this is a forty five minute sketch. So mm-hmm. just so people know, yeah, di- it's not di- a disclaimer. <laughs> that's right. It's not that I'm trying to brag in any way. It's just I'm just saying, you know, I really didn't spend a lot of time on this. Mm-hmm. So 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 be kind. And I I feel like maybe I need to stop doing that. You should. It's, um, it's a pet peeve of mine when, yeah. when people write just a quick one. Yeah. Now I'm guilty. I do it too. <laughs> just like, yes, we get it. It's a sketch. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's uh, it just, uh, people can be really cruel and not so much, I think on Instagram, but some of the Facebook groups, people can be really cruel. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, like art, art wise. You find yes. Oh yes. Interesting. And it's, it's more than when you have that crossover. Somebody had posted a, um, a, uh, a digital piece that they had done, mm-hmm. I think was in procreate on an iPad. And, uh, you know, the, the, they said, I did this digital painting of a, I forget what it was. I think it was a bird or mm-hmm. I, I don't recall. And, uh, people were going up and down saying it's not painting mm-hmm. and, um, <laughs> it's, it's not real art. 
right? And so it's when you get this crossover happening that you get people kind of becoming very defensive about th- their discipline, their interest, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't see that as much on Instagram because I don't know why that is. I think it's it's a bit different of a community. I, th- I don't think Twitter has any impact in here because people tend not to share a lot there. Yeah, well, but, fa- Facebook is just a platform of hatred in general. It's yeah. just not a po- positive place (laughs) it's it's hard because there are you know like the urban sketchers of ottawa group Mm -hmm. is there right Mm -hmm. and you have these pockets of really interesting people that you need facebook to connect with them Mm -hmm. and then you just you have to get around all the muck that's there right to to get to that and that's hard yeah well i think like by the time i mean i i rarely get on facebook I, i just don't find it interesting at all and a heavy instagram user um but yeah, by the I, I guess by the time people get to the place they're searching for on Facebook, they've been absorbing so much anxiety-inducing and anger-inducing content, getting jealous of what their friends are doing or whatever. And by the time they get to the page they're looking for, they're ready to fight. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just weird. But I find yeah, Instagram. It's like you know, especially when when it's art that you're posting, it's like nothing but positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, you get the get the get a trolling or two but if you're putting stuff on the internet you should in a roundabout way just accept that it's doesn't belong to you anymore and it's out of your control what people are going to say right i i do agree i think it's i haven't had really any bad incidents i don't think horrible incidents on instagram and i'm i'd like to knock on wood but Mm -hmm. i'm in a plastic truck here so (laughs) but uh you know twitter i found to be more challenging if i posted Mm -hmm. my stuff there i've and Facebook, for sure. There are some groups that are very strict around their rules and what you post. And I'm, I'm saying this around groups around, you know, graphite art versus watercolor versus digital. Right. I can appreciate some of that, but um, it, it becomes a bit more challenging. It all has its place, you know, like I've had conversations with people like I could come off sometimes in conversation, especially after a couple of beers about, you know, being uh, resentful or bitter about the digital revolution. But um no, I mean, every like digital arts has its place. Um, sketching has its place. It's all to be respected and to be understood right. um, what you use for what goal. Yeah, know? exactly. I think, um, I do agree. I think we have to encourage everyone, regardless yeah. of what you choose to do, if you... Yeah, if you like drawing on an iPad and the point is to like drawing, then you're doing a good job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't draw on an iPad. I like the sport of drawing in a sketchbook, but mm-hmm. that's... Yeah, don't knock um, people doing the other stuff. It just depends what you're after. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what's, you know, and it could be that in three or five years, maybe things change for either one of mm-hmm. us, right? Where you decide that you want to try an iPad or mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever is new at that point, right? So, yeah. um, so in the in the realm of kind of urban sketching, mm-hmm. I want to talk about kind of the tools that you use. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see you sitting there with a carpenter's pencil and I, (laughs) and you know, I've got my mechanical clutch pencils that I use and I think that's interesting. So we'll get to that as well. But, um, when you decide you want to go urban sketching, what goes on in your head to say, to say that I'm going to go here today or I'm going to go there. And, and where do you find that kind of inspiration or motivation to say that, uh, you know, I just, I need something new. And so maybe we can lead in maybe with the coffee cup. Mm-hmm. So you you drew on a hundred mm-hmm. coffee cups um, in in ink and watercolor as part of a. And how long was that? How 
over what period of time was that? Sure. So yeah, um, the cup project. So that was a project that I did last winter. So in 2018, I decided what started off as a little kind of marketing tool for my the coffee aspect of my shop, because we, we only started really advertising our coffee last year. We wanted to make sure we could make good coffee before we started <laughs> inviting people to come drink it publicly. Probably wise. Yeah. So our, our takeaway cups are white paper cups. And I started, you know, doodling on them just as something to put on our Instagram to merge our art driven brand with our coffee. And I discovered that it's actually a pretty good medium. The whatever paper is being used on those coffee cups, it doesn't absorb watercolor very well. So it has its own kind of, it's, it's almost like a really fine hot press paper. Okay. Where it just kind of sits there and pools together. And I liked the quality of that. You know, it, it takes away control a lot and creates these kind of moody little, moody little paintings. So I just started drawing more on them and. One thing led to another. I decided uh, I was going to do a show on coffee cups, uh, like an art show on coffee cups last winter, celebrating the winter in Ottawa because everyone kind of shuts down or leaves this city in the winter. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would kind of embrace it and, and right at the end of winter in March, have a show showing everybody their little street corners that they all have suffered on <laughs> waiting for the bus or sipping a coffee. So, um, yeah. They're very small cups. They're 12 ounce coffee cups. So if, if you do 10 of them, what are you going to do with that? It doesn't really fill a space very well. So I thought quantity is going to be impactful on this. I'm like, okay, I need a whole wall full of coffee cups if this is going to have any kind of impact. So I decided a hundred is a pretty good even number. It takes me about 30 minutes to an hour to do one of them. I think I could get that done in a cer certain schedule by the end of winter. So, uh, yeah, I sat in my freezing cold truck or occasionally outside if it wasn't snowing. Um, drawing on location, urban sketches from around Ottawa throughout the entire winter of 2018. And you still have some of those in your shop? Yeah, unfortunately, coffee cups are a hard sell <laughs> as art. You know, it's very, very difficult for people to imagine what they can do with art that isn't in a frame that can hang on a hook on a wall. Right. So yeah, I did. I, I was stuck with quite a few of them at the end of that show. <laughs> My mom recently went to uh, Slovakia to visit our family. So uh, I loaded her with a box of them to give, give out to relatives, little That's souvenirs, cool. so be ashamed to bring one home and then one of your ambitious kids says, oh, I'm going to load up the compost pen. And well, that, that happened. So I originally, the, the first 10 that I did, I did, I did, um, some R and D at a, at idle hands at a craft craft market last year, last winter, where I literally just had the, the paper cup with a, with the plastic lid, a cup that I had used. So the whole point of it was, it's like, you know, a reusable, don't throw it out. You make some art and you keep it. And people were either grossed out that I had used the cup. It was too light. So it would, you know, the, some of the people that had bought them and t taken them home messaged me back saying, you know, it blew off the shelf when they opened the window or their husband or wife threw it in the compost. Um, so I was like, okay, I gotta, you know, I'm too, I'm too deep into this now to give up. I gotta figure out a way to weigh them down to make them look a little nicer and uh, not use them. <laughs> so the ones that I had used, I cleaned up. I filled them with uh, automotive Bondo and marbles. Okay. to weigh them down and to stiffen them up, uh, clear coated varnish them. And I had, uh, Ottawa CNC cut me design and cut me pine wooden lids. So it still looks like a coffee cup, okay. but it's, it's a sculpture at this nice. point. It's, it's preserved. It's, it's weighted and it's got a nice, basically a frame on the top of it. And uh, I mean, you still have some in your shop that they look amazing. Like Thanks. I, be, I think, uh, and those are the bad ones that nobody wanted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, still, I still think they look great. So, I mean, if you're in, in Ottawa, stop into the shop and take a look. Cause the, there's still some there. And, uh, 
um, and of course a bunch of your other art. So, and and I kind of you know I, I talked myself out of my own question there, but when it came to that, mm-hmm. you're at you know cup number ninety. Mm-hmm. How do you find that inspiration to say what am I going to do today? Right. And so how did you address it there and how do you address it, you know, on the weekends or in the evenings now when you're drawing, especially when the sun goes down here at an ungodly, what, 4.30? Yeah, well, in the winter, I just don't do much urban sketching, to be honest. Um, that's when that's when I draw a lot of motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Yeah, in the winter, it's it's hard. Like, I wake up, it's dark. So I go to work, it's dark. I get off work, it's dark. It's it's really hard to find time to get out and sketch, but um, I just make myself little projects here and there. Um, and in the winter, what I like is um, in Ottawa, especially, uh, it's always overcast, and there's always kind of steam coming out of sewers and uh, and you know laundry machines at the side of buildings. And uh, yeah, the city has a very nice kind of almost deserted um, stillness to it. That makes it fun to capture. So I'm going to try doing a little more of that this winter. Um, but in the summer is where that really comes out. In the summer, in the summertime, you know, sunrise, sunset. I, I like seeing what light does to buildings at, in, in different times of days. Um, I like complex architecture, you know, busy streets. So yeah, it, it really depends on that day, kind of what I'm feeling like drawing. Um, lately, I've been enjoying drawing a lot more people than buildings and how people use this space rather than what the space is. And um, yeah, it's also just really hard to find time to justify and dedicate to urban sketching when I'm home in Ottawa mm-hmm. because I have a full-time job, because I run a skateboard shop, and I also freelance a, a bunch of different design projects at different times of year. There's always something distracting me or keeping me from sketching. So I try to plan um, sketching trips. And that's, you know, if, if you go on my website, you'll see that it's laid out uh, more of a kind of a travel, a journalistic approach to like travel blogging. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really sketch the most. So all the distractions are gone. There's no more cell phone. And uh, you're just in another country with one one thing on your mind is where do we sleep tonight and what are we going to draw today? And I think that uh, I'll include a link to your uh, to your website in the show notes. Because I think some of those journeys have been really amazing. Like Newfoundland, we've, I visited there two years ago. It's amazing. I mean, to do it on motorcycles is even cooler. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, you know, recently you were in Palestine for mm-hmm. four or five weeks. And maybe you can talk about that. And I'll just mention that, you know, now that you're talking about uh, drawing or painting people, you could see that progression, that change almost in some mm-hmm. of the earlier stuff and going through looking at your Palestine work that you can see that there was becoming a more of a focus on the people mm-hmm. and, and what they're doing and how they're interacting. And you can see that progression, that change from stuff you did earlier in, in this year to that point in time uh, with, where there is more about the, the human element of a city versus just the, uh, you know, the wires and the buildings. And you've always included people, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you could see that change. And I thought that was really to see some of that interactivity of the people and what they're doing, what they're making was kind of mm-hmm. cool. It's uh it would have been nice to be there, right? Yeah. And obviously brings back a different memory for you. But do you want to talk about maybe some of your recent trips? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was actually a good point you made about the website. So I, I keep old stuff on there. Uh, it's terribly embarrassing for me to look at. But at the same time, I think it's very important. It's good for me to remind myself that I am with frequency constantly getting better. Um, because, you know, artists get bogged down with self-doubt and frustration. We all experience that as artists, but it's nice to see, oh, 
it was a lot worse last year though. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, we're, we're doing something right. You know, maybe, I, maybe I don't like what's, what's coming out of the, out of the pen right now, but it's at least better than the last one I did. And that, that's important. But yeah, so if you go on my website down to the older stuff, like Vietnam was the first trip that I went on where I, where I brought a sketchbook and, and decided I'm going to sketch on this one. I maybe did like 10 drawings in the whole trip. Cause it was, it was totally insane riding across that country on motorcycles. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you can kind of scroll up to, to the most recent trip in Palestine and, and, and kind of follow the progression. Um, not that I think that my work that I'm doing now is spectacular, but it's at least a lot better <laughs> than what was in Vietnam. And that's, that's a very important thing to keep in mind when you're frustrated and starting this stuff. But yeah, to go back to your question, I just wanted to touch on that point yeah. to go back to your question. Yeah. The, the, the progression just comes from your new discovery. So every time you finish a drawing, you learn something new and sometimes it takes a little longer. Sometimes you have eureka moments. And this year I realized that I was just avoiding drawing people for a long time. And I realized that, you know, I, I drew them in for scale, like little, little people here and there, you know, uh, filling a street. But, um, I just discovered this year that it, it would be a lot more interesting to have um, people closer. I, I say closer to the camera because I, I, I work in animation. We always <laughs> talk like that. Yeah. Like larger and more predominant as focal pieces in urban sketching. I think uh, the people just really, really bring the life out of a place. They're a lot more interesting to look at than a building for the most part. And, uh, and it's just good practice. Hmm. So how many images did you do when you're in Palestine? In Palestine, I filled a sketchbook and a half. Each sketchbook was 48 pages. Wow. <laughs> so I've got, you know, I think somewhere around 60 drawings. I would try to do at least one or two a day on that trip. And uh, yeah, actually, that's it's that book right there. And um, yeah, that one I'm working on. I've, I've scanned that one in. I'm going to be working on uh, putting together and releasing an art book in the spring. That's awesome. Yeah, well, that's it. So that'll be available on your site. Yeah, I have haven't it. It will for sure be available on my site. I haven't quite decided how I'm going to be releasing it and touring with it, but the there is a plan for spring spring of 2020 to start a a little book tour. And that's great. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Really let that one be available. Yeah, it's it's the first trip where I really focused on that being a goal. Like I've always wanted to make books. Mm -hmm. That's after I made the shift from drawing for practice to drawing for fun. Um, I just, I thought it would be awesome to come back from one of these trips and put together an art and photography and story driven little coffee table book. But unfortunately, um, the work was too inconsistent. You know, you, you, I was just learning way too much on these trips, um, to have material or content that would make an interesting book. And in Palestine this year, I really focused on using a consistent palette, uh, more consistent compositions. And I focused very heavily on the layout of the pages and how the sketches live on the page in order to just be able to simplify the process of scan it, clean it up and print it. Okay. And, um, yeah, I think, I think I'm ready to finally put something out there. <laughs> Did you find it hard doing that many sketches over oh, yeah. that time? Oh, yeah. 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 You're, you're suffering and su suffering and sacrificing if, if you're on a trip with people where the primary focus isn't to be drawing. You know, I was there volunteering as a skateboard instructor with an organization called SkatePal, and they are an after-school charity that teaches skateboarding to youth in Palestine. So, you know, the focus was every day at 3.30, make sure you're at the skate park teaching. And what you do with your own time during the day is up to you, you know, so between traveling to different cities, uh, meeting people, visiting places, you do have to unfortunately sacrifice 
sleep, food, or socializing to break away from the group and sketch. But what made it interesting in Palestine is that actually I went with a friend of mine from work, uh, Noor Abusido. She's she's uh, Palestinian. It was her first time visiting Palestine. She's also an artist. So she and I would sketch together, which was nice having a buddy yep. out there drawing with. And some of the other skateboard volunteers that were in the group uh, started drawing while we were there. I taught, I taught two workshops while we were there as well that they all attended. And uh, yeah, they did a great job. It was fun having like a little group that was interested in urban sketching. It's cool. You converted some people. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so maybe talk a little bit about that experience, whether it's in Palestine or in Ottawa here, where you, um, you're out urban sketching and people interact with you. Yeah. How do you find that? Do you find it intrudes in what you're doing? Do you find it enhances or is it a bit of both? Yeah, it's kind of part of the sport. <laughs> it's part of the sport. I mean, if if you're, I've done it in Vietnam, I've done it in India, in Thailand, in Bali, recently in Palestine. Um, if you're, you're a freak show when you're sitting there painting a, a street corner mm -hmm. in a place that rarely gets visitors, everybody's coming to see you and talk to you. Um, you know, in Palestine, I would have on average a group of maybe, you know, 10 to 15 people kind of gathered around while I was drawing in the city at any given time it was uh they're taking pictures they're making you talk to their youtube channels um were, were they trying to find the hat to put the money into it all or was that <laughs> no yeah did they see I, you as a street performer i or? should have done that no it, it, people were just confused now they, they they didn't know what to think hmm. or, or they 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 seldom know what to think uh they just they look at my drawing and actually surprisingly enough it was funny how many people didn't know what i was drawing so that, that told me two things, either what I was drawing was not a good representation of what I was looking at and trying right. to capture, or people just don't look around at their surroundings mm -hmm. the way that artists do or urban sketchers do. So, you know, I had to have, have people sitting there with me for like the whole hour that I was drawing. And then at the end, finally, like ask, like, what is, what is this? And I'd point <laughs> directly in front of me. I'm like, I don't know if you saw me looking up and looking <laughs> down and sketching this whole time, like sight measuring. Right. And they're like, Oh, and they were just, their mind was blown. And then, then they have to take it and go show their shop buddies. And, but, uh, yeah, I, I love the interactions. It's yeah, kids, kids can be, kids can be a little tough sometimes. Like little boys will like kind of start flipping through your pages while you're still drawing. So you got to just, you know, give them a little smack on the wrist, <laughs> keep them off. Yeah. Especially in India, the, the, the boundaries, uh, that the kids had weren't, weren't as, um, you know, not, not what we're accustomed to. Okay. So you just have to be a little assertive, like, don't touch the paint. <laughs> right. I mean, in some ways, maybe these people benefit uh, to see an urban sketcher, to, to start to maybe look up away from their phone or whatever they're doing and start maybe to look at things differently. Do you think that it's having an impact in that? Do you think people leave that experience thinking, wow, you know, we live in a really interesting place or I didn't notice the colors in that building before. Do you think that it has that impact on at least some? I hope so. I mean, most people just don't want to care about anything outside of what their kind of normalized lifestyle is. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that's a really hard one to say. Cause, um, you know, the interactions you have are so, so brief, but, um, and beyond the, I would hope so. Beyond the, the people in Palestine, do you think you've inspired others through your journeys? In, yeah. In like, on? like in Ottawa, for sure. Um, I definitely know, a, a good handful of people that have taken on urban sketching because of conversations we've had or because they've watched me do it or explain why I'm doing it. Um, definitely had an influence on, on a few people here internationally. It's hard to say, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to follow up on that kind of data. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it has an impact on me when I watch 
people do their craft. So I, I find it hard to imagine that it doesn't when people watch me do it as well. Okay. And so when it comes to your craft and your tools, mm-hmm. what artists get asked this question all the time. Mm-hmm. I do as well, no matter where you post, mm-hmm. what pens- pencils did you use? What paper is that? And some, you know, we were talking about Facebook earlier. Uh, you know, some Facebook groups are very clear that you can't post anything unless you identify the pencils, the, the you know. The, oh, really? Oh, yeah. The lead types, the paper Man. you used. Um, I'm and... kind of glad I stay off of Facebook. <laughs> it's, it sounds horrible. <laughs> it's, it can be quite restricting sometimes. Yeah, they're like purists of Facebook. <laughs> right. <laughs> so do you have a favorite sketchbook that you're using or, or material that you use? I mean, I have to ask this question because people will want to know, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. And I don't think, I, I think we have to preface this by saying, the, the pencil you use, the ink you use, the paper you use doesn't make you a better artist necessarily. Mm-hmm. It no. may allow you to expand differently, but it doesn't make the artist, right? No, of course not. I mean, materials and tools help make the artist in, in weird subconscious ways. Mm-hmm. It's like getting getting a new pair of sneakers. It like changes your attitude of, of your self-perception of that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same way a new pen that you didn't need makes you think yeah i'm gonna draw with this pen this pen is gonna be awesome um it's just a silly thing but yeah obviously obviously good tools that play to your strengths or to what it is that you're trying to capture and how are very important i use and have been using a variation of the same tools for like the last 10 years so for me my tools started out of necessity and became just the tools that i've been working with and slight evolution of it so for me it was all about uh portability and uh, the smallest kit possible. So so I do a lot of motorcycle trips or skateboard trips. So I'm limited with the amount of stuff that I can bring. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that I can bring has to last. You know, I bring I bring one fountain pen to Palestine. It better not fail on me. I brought 15 replacement nibs. <laughs> <laughs> but the pen, if this pen fails on me, I'll, I'll be pretty screwed. And I had that happen in India, actually. I bought a, a Namiki Falcon water pen, uh, water pen, um, fountain pen. And it was the most expensive art tool that I've ever bought. It was like a $300 pen and I lost it. It fell out of my pocket the first day I got to, um, first day I got to Indonesia. <laughs> oh, no. And then, yeah, I had to just find whatever pens. But anyway, sorry, I'm rambling again. Okay. So, so yeah, the tools that I use are, are to be as light and compact as possible and to be able to capture what it is that I'm trying to capture as quickly as possible as well. Cause I'm limited with time and I'm limited with space. So I use a pen. Um, because sport, <laughs> I like to use, I like to use a pen and I like to use ink because with a pencil and an eraser, I find I'm just spending way too much time making a precious drawing. You're erasing and you're editing. It almost feels like I'm drawing on a, on a computer. Right. Um, so I, I try to limit the amount of editing that I do to speed up the process and also build, build for a more confident approach. So if you're used to dealing with the, f- dealing with mistakes with a pen, um, you're less likely to make those mistakes again in the future because you've just spent an hour drawing something and you you know run your pinky across the page and smear the ink before it dried and you're like okay now I have to figure out how to incorporate this in the drawing because we're not starting over mm-hmm. you're only going to be at this spot once um, yeah so so I use the I use a, a pen for sport essentially and the watercolor originally used um, markers like um, like concept sketching markers okay uh, like the Prismacolor or um, Cop- Copic markers Copic, yeah. but you have to carry a whole bag of those around yeah. if you want to get something nice and colorful yeah and I n- never wanted no. I have a few at home and I just for me I, I it's too much 
Yeah, it's, it's too yeah. much to, to carry around. So I saw, actually, well, I mean, I, I was fortunate to, when I when I started animation, I've been mentored by Dave Merritt, who's a local a local art director and production designer, and, and he's a plein air painter, so he does uh, acrylics and oils, and okay. he's one of the last people left in the auto animation industry that actually worked on gouache and ink when before the digital revolution happened or mm -hmm. the, the transition into digital. So he's the one that introduced me to all these beautiful tools and materials and techniques. Uh, so he's like, yeah, just, just get a spit box. I'm like, what's a spit box? He's like, oh, it's like a little, a little watercolor set you can travel with. I'm like, oh, fantastic. Like, this is nice. So pen for sports, a uh, small spit box of watercolor for ease of, ease of portability and, and, um, you know, space and, uh, the sketchbooks. I mean, I just kind of use a different sketchbook every summer, just trying them out right now. I'm using a, uh, uh, eight by 10, uh, pentallic watercolor book. I like it because it's got 48 pages. So mm -hmm. it's actually the, the, the biggest watercolor book you can get. Um, as far as the quantity of pages go in that size. And, uh, yeah, the paper's nice. It's got, it's got a slight tooth to it. Um, are you drawing on both sides as one scene or do you put scenes on separate, like, yeah, yeah. I draw on both sides of the paper. It doesn't bleed through. Um, yeah, I just fill, fill the, fill the book. And you um, tend to run landscape on both pages or do you, uh, I'll switch it up. Like, yeah. Cause in Palestine you did some that where it was a bit cut up, right? Where you had. Yeah. I, I usually fill, fit a couple, couple sketches on a page. So I'll start off at the beginning of a trip, just using a full page and doing a very kind of, um, a lot of a high use of negative space kind of composition. Mm -hmm. And as I start getting to the end of the book, I realize I don't have enough pages left. So then I'll go back and find pockets of negative space on pages where I'll fill in other little sketches. So that's, that kind of makes the page a little interesting too. Also, I carry around a little, um, a Fuji Instamax for taking a little, uh, yeah, instant, I've noticed those instant photos. So th those kind of help, um, turn the page into a bit of a collage or like, you know, taping a little ticket stub in there, you know, receipts, stuff like that. It just kind of makes a more interesting travel, travel diary. Okay. Yeah. I, I noticed that's, I mean, if I were to see that mm -hmm. beyond anything else, I would think that's Captain Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's, it really mm -hmm. is a part of that whole travel journal. Yeah. I, right? I, I want, cool. I want to capture the experience. Yeah. Cause, cause what I'm drawing is, is a very biased a biased opinion of what it is that I experienced. So mm -hmm. like taking a Polaroid or like I said, bus tickets and stuff like that just kind of builds and adds context to the story. Right. But uh, yeah, so, so back to those materials, yeah. uh, it started off with necessity. Like I said, uh, something I could draw with as quick as possible and have as little stuff as possible. And also artistically, I like being limited. If you have too many materials and too many supplies, it's overwhelming. You know, I get, I get anxious about too many things. Mm -hmm. I don't like a lot of stuff. I have one brush, one pen, one watercolor set, and one sketchbook. And how many uh, colors do you have? Do you have a limited palette as well? I do have a limit. I mean, I'm limited to, to how many, yeah, how many cakes are in here. Uh, two, four, six. So I've got 12 colors in here and that's two colors more than I need. Okay. So my palette my palette that I use is, is 10 colors and they're all earth tones. Um, I have to, I have to give credit. Most of that palette was, uh, was stolen from Dan Marshall. Okay. So I took a, I took a, a watercolor, a confidence in watercolor workshop with him at the end of, uh, summer of 2018. And he showed what colors he uses and why, you know, he does a lot of mo moody, um, 
moody tonal driven watercolor paintings and yeah most of those colors are are a carryover from that workshop i discovered why nobody makes a good green for example right (laughs) yeah that that's all thanks to him so is that a i'm you can't see this in the audio, but is that is that gouache that you've got as well? Yeah, I've got a little uh, I've, I've, I've got a little tube of zinc white gouache, okay. and I use that um, for emergencies when I didn't leave enough highlights. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think we all do that. That's uh... yeah. I mean that that that's the the that's the beauty of the sport of watercolor sketching is is it's not what you put down; it's what you leave out. Right. And sometimes you you screw that up and you don't leave anything out, and there's no depth. There's no sharp highlights of contrast so yeah you got to get in there with a tube of uh <laughs> tube of zinc white and touch it up and the other thing we talked about back in your shop too was ink because yeah. we we had a bit of a discussion about what's you know what ink are we using where we end up we're using the same ink mm-hmm. but um do you want to talk a little bit about about sure. That? Yeah, the ink is uh, it's platinum carbon. So that that's the most common question I get on Instagram. It's funny. I was I was I was with a buddy yesterday, and he he was trying to convince me of the hypo- hypothetical scenario that there's a group of of trolls on the internet that are just messing with me by asking me what ink I use every single time I make a post. <laughs> Especially recent, last weekend, I made a, a video. Finally, I've been getting a lot of requests to do a process video where I just, you know, film an entire drawing, mm-hmm. which is very annoying and hard to do. As, mm-hmm. as you know, you know, you got one hour to sketch. It's like, I don't want to be messing with a camera and a tripod also, but I'm going to, I'm going to try and get in the habit of that. So in this video, I, I split it up into three parts to help show the materials I use also. So the carpenter's pencil to get, get my uh, composition sketch down the pen. I even wrote down what ink I'm using as a subtitle that stayed on screen the entire video. And the first question I got was, what ink do you use? I'm like, are you serious? (laughs) It says platinum carbon ink. So yeah, the ink that I use is platinum carbon ink. I use that because it is a fountain pen ink that doesn't corrode or clog the fountain pen, but it also dries waterproof. So you can get a nice, a nice um, line work done and then just dry it up and wash watercolor right over top of it. Now it will eventually bleed if you over overwork the watercolor and get the paper too wet, but generally speaking it's like 90% waterproof. I want to ask you a question about composition. So when you're looking at choosing a subject, do you worry about that? Do you think of, you know, rule of thirds, leading lines? Do you think about all of that when you're laying something out? 100%. Yeah. So that's actually something that uh, I've discovered that it's something that makes me unique in the urban sketching community. Not that other other people don't. There's hundreds of thousands of people much better at this than I am. But I do I do come from a cinematic background, right? Because I work in uh, in animation, um, the story of a drawing is much more important than the drawing. It's 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 a fast, effective um, journey to the focal point. You know, sometimes in animation you get uh, you get five frames, 10 frames, two frames, uh, sorry, frame, there's 24 frames in a second on a, on a uh, movie reel. So you, you get a split second to, to register to your audience what they want to look at. So that's something that, that I, I practice and also put into practice in my urban sketching is cinematic composition. And also because I do a lot of design work, um, I use the negative space and flow of the page to lay out an interesting, um, composition as a shape so when you look at when you look at my work you'll notice that something that makes it unique is the way that it lives on the page and the the kind of rule of thirds cinematic composition leading you to a focal point so i do think about what i want the like 
the audience, like I said, I keep, I keep talking to TV. <laughs> okay. I do think about what I want the audience to look at first and then how I want them to travel through the piece. But also because we're urban sketching and in the sport of being distracted by everything around you, mm. that doesn't always get achieved. But at least if you're thinking about it and trying really hard to maintain that, it, it seeps in. Yeah, I think for me, that's been the hardest bit mm -hmm. is the composition because, you know, the thing with urban sketching too is you've got an hour yeah. or two hours or whatever the case. So there's this kind of pressure that you put on yourself to say, I've got to get this done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got your palette, you're trying to sort out your colors and then you start your sketching and it's, and the composition almost falls by the wayside, right? Yeah. And then, and then, well, you just have to deal with it then, yeah. right? That That's, that's the fun part about this sport. I love calling it a sport, by the way. <laughs> I've been saying that as much as possible. That'll be the, the, the quote at the top of the, the, the tagline, urban sketching, new sport. <laughs> that's right. Um, but yeah, that, that, that is the sport of it. It's, it's, a, it's what you set out to do is going to change and you're going to have to adapt with it. And mm -hmm. that's, that's an incredible skill for an artist to to achieve that's why you plain air paint and why you sketch right it's it's you're like okay i really wanted this area here on the left to be the focal point but suddenly you like draw a tree or some power lines that overlap it in a way that it, it you now have two focal points competing for attention you're like okay so now i have to make a choice do i bring more attention back to my focal point or now establish a more general and broad focus on an area instead of a particular subject so right. yeah it's it's I think it's I think it's a very important thing to keep in mind because it's what just m turns something that's simply enjoyable and a hobby into a, a craft and a passion and and a s sport. <laughs> right. So that's that's actually something I also am teaching now in workshops is uh, so I call my workshops effective and ex and expressive urban sketching. And basically what that means is when I say effective, it means the structure, the perspective, the composition, the shapes, the proportion, all the good stuff is there, but it's loose and looks like it was drawn with your left hand. So it's it's a nice balance of, of having a well-staged focal point and composition and lighting, but drawn very quickly and sloppily. So it has this jazzy, fun, lively energy to it. Right. But yeah, I ab absolutely 100% think that it's very important to think about your drawing and how it's going to live on a page and what story it's going to tell before you start scribbling. So the usually takes five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I apologize because we, we came here to sketch and we haven't started yet, but we have all uh, everything laid out. And I wanted to ask you in, are there places that you want to visit in the world that you haven't, mm -hmm. that you, because you're urban sketching now, that you feel compelled that I need to go there because I need to draw that. Yes, absolutely. That's actually how I, I try to plan my trips is um, what's it going to look like to draw and how will I get around? Um, you know, traveling by motorcycle is, is the absolute best um, vehicle for this medium mm -hmm. because you can park anywhere. You can stop anywhere and you're, you're, constantly battered by and exposed to the environment so you're already knowing what it smells like and feels like to mm -hmm. be somewhere you've you've done that preliminary part and um yeah for for me i used to and i still do relatively look for complex subject matter i like i like decay i like when things have been added to things and on top of things you know that that's something that i picked up from from an artist that i admire named julian garner he's a local tattooer and uh, artist here in town he draws a lot of uh, buildings and architecture and complex 
scenarios and I just, I loved the way that looked and I'm like, okay, I want to do that, but I can't just fully rip him off. I got to find my own way to do it. <laughs> so I got to actually travel to these places and, and draw my version of it. But, um, yeah, lately because I've, I've moved more into drawing people and, and focusing on stuff. It's, it's less the architecture that, um, that interests me and more about just the lifestyle of just being anywhere. You know, like when I'm in Ottawa, it's it's hard because my perception of the city is it's it's very clean and sterile and uh, there's not a lot of decay. You know, old buildings get torn down and new ones get get built, but there is a lot of it still here. You know, there's a lot of, of fun little alleyways and um, old buildings and restaurants and stuff to find. But um, yeah, like I went to, I went to Istanbul purely to sketch because of the architecture. I, um, I chose... I chose or decided to go there after uh, the Bond film Skyfall came out. Okay. <laughs> At the the intro, the intro to that film, there's a motorcycle chase sequence on top of the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul, and that city looks insane. It is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I was, I, I need to find out where that is and how to get there. <laughs> so I, I that's actually where where I learned the most at any single time as far as urban sketching goes because i was there for two weeks by myself doing nothing but drawing sunrise to sunset i didn't leave the city i didn't go inside a muse single museum i just filled sketchbooks all day the drawings mind you aren't very good it's on my website you can flip through it but they got better every day which is as i mentioned before the important part and the part that keeps you sane you know, some of us may not have access to that except to travel. I mean, mm -hmm. Ottawa is a fairly young city, so we mm -hmm. don't have that architecture. And it's pretty, you know, cold yeah, <laughs> and white in the winter. And you may have other places like, you know, Iqaluit, to which you've been, mm -hmm. um, and places like Norway. and, and Iqaluit was not easy to sketch in. <laughs> right. it, was, it was cold. So if, there's, if the person listening is in that kind of environment, mm -hmm. they shouldn't be, you know... The, it, it may be a challenge, but mm -hmm. they should not do it. Like no, there's still opportunities just... to kind of find that, find their voice within the environment they're yeah, in. Right? Abs absolutely. So like in a Calouette, um, the first day I got there, I went outside and put on some gloves and started sketching and realized, you know, it's not, it's not just physically being cold. That's the issue. It's, it's the materials not reacting properly. So anything, anything minus, uh, below 10 degrees Celsius or colder, your ink's not drying, your watercolor's freezing. It, it just doesn't work. You know, like some painters, some painters will use, um, you know, vodka to dilute um, their watercolor. But then if you add too much vodka to your water mixture, the pigments that you're mixing don't actually bind together. You know, I, I did a lot of research on how to paint outside in cold environments. And it, you just have to find other ways around it. So in a Calouette, I was like, oh, my friend Pascal, who we were staying with, has a truck that she's not using. Right there. I'm like, can I borrow your truck for a few hours? She's like, yeah. And sit in a warm truck and draw. Sit in a, a coffee shop with a nice view. You know, my my shop here in Ottawa has a has a beautiful little uh, um, vista vantage point from the uh, front where you can sip coffee. So, yeah, there's there's lots of ways around it. You just gotta like like I said before, it's it's the sport of urban sketching. Like find a way to draw right. as close to your subject matter as you can. Right, and 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 looking up and 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 trying yeah. to find that. I mean, it was a beautiful. And I left this morning because we started quite early. <laughs> and yeah. thank you on a Sunday for doing yeah. this. Uh, yeah, you probably saw a beautiful sunrise. It was, it was stunning. Yeah. Uh, it means probably going to get some nasty weather, but yeah. it was a beautiful Yeah, my sunrise. buddy Andrew texted me this morning. He's like, did you see the sunrise this morning? I'm like, no, yeah. not yet. <laughs> uh, it's good that people still do that. I mean, we need yeah. to do more of that, right? To be able to look around us and see what's there. Mm -hmm. So is there something that you wish you knew uh, that you know now mm -hmm. that you wish you knew that 
you know, maybe would have helped you in this kind of artistic journey you've had for. Yes, <laughs> there's a few things. <laughs> um, most importantly, kind of what I what I tell uh, younger artists now is frequency. Frequency is the most important thing, you know, like wanting to wanting to be a great famous artist and do beautiful drawings and to achieve your goals and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's important. That's nice. But just frequency draw every single day. All you need is an hour and draw however you want on whatever you want with whatever you want. The fact that you're doing something for an hour every day will eventually make you good at it. So like I was saying with the, the, oh, there's a Fox running up there. You see it oh, yeah. up, up on, uh, up on parliament Hill. There's a Fox running through the trees. That's beautiful. That's nice. Even through the interview that we can see some yeah. of this happening. That's pretty cool. We'll have to in- include that in the drawing later, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's do not get frustrated with self-doubt and just draw every day. Like suck it up, shut up. Yes, it's hard. Yes, you make mistakes, but that's the mm-hmm. fun of it. And as long as you're constantly thinking on how to make each drawing better than the last one, you're going to be all right. You know, and that's something that I didn't know. I just thought I sucked so bad with every drawing. I didn't realize that what was happening was at the end of the drawing, you've learned more than you knew when you started the drawing. So there's no way to like that drawing. You're now, you've now leveled up. <laughs> right. So what your, your observation skills and uh, your hand-eye coordination has improved. So what you thought was good when you started the drawing has now changed. So you hate the drawing. So you have to just close the book, walk away, go home. And like two days later, look at it when you've forgotten what it was that you were trying to do to get where you got. And you'll appreciate the drawing a little more. But um, yeah, that, that's, that's the most important thing for anybody getting into this is urban sketching is awesome. Cause you're just, you're sitting outside, having, having a time, drinking coffee, tea, enjoying the sunshine and just drawing for the more advanced artists. You know, in in the urban sketching community, I find it, it's it's a lot of hobbyists getting into it like later in life, and People like me, <laughs> yeah, and that and that's awesome. You yeah. know, like like my workshop that I that I taught in Ottawa last year was full of people um, that just wanted to try it, mm-hmm. and that's and that's awesome. And I encourage anyone to do it. It's it's quite simple if you if you accept that being frustrated is part of it, <laughs> but. Um, not the people getting into it later in life as hobbyists uh, don't necessarily have have the advantage of having trained in any kind of um academic setting in art so you know i i because i went to school for animation and and studied traditional animation work in animation i have a cinematic approach i i understand perspective expertly like i can look at a building and and see i know where the horizon line is i know where the vanishing points are i know the structure i know how it's built i know where the, you know i've studied this stuff so it, it makes the drawing a lot faster and more effective but if you want to advance your skills practice that stuff you know um practice structured drawing perspective drawing identifying horizon lines it, it just makes it makes the sketching experience a lot more enjoyable when you're not bogged down with being overwhelmed by what you're looking at and that's what I try to teach in my workshops. You know, I, I, I split it into a, into a, a two-part segment where in the morning we're drawing with pencil and we're just analyzing what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. We identify the horizon line. We identify the vanishing points, the perspective, the angle, the proportions, and you're just slowly working the drawing to death. <laughs> and then in the afternoon, we come back and 
you know, put that drawing aside and then start a whole new drawing with ink and watercolor and get loose and expressive. And the fact that you've got that foundation from just, you know, a couple hours study in the morning has made you a better artist at capturing what you're sketching at because you're no longer terrified of the subject matter. You are, you've already understood it. Well, you'll have to sign me up to your next, <laughs> I'm going to be there for your next workshop for sure. Yeah. So is beyond that, um, the points which I think are, I mean, it's, it's so good to hear that as a matter of, of, you know, somebody saying you need to spend, I mean, it really is time on paper mm-hmm. or if you're on an iPad time in the, iPad, it's just time doing it. Right. Yeah. For someone who wants to, who's not done urban sketching before and wants to start tomorrow, mm-hmm. What do you think could be a first exercise for them? Because, you know, for me, it, it there's a lot of it that's intimidating. You know, mm-hmm. being in public and maybe doing your first piece in public may mm-hmm. be challenging. What would you say would be a good first exercise or two for someone who wants to just... Ooh, that's a tough one. It's going to be different for everybody. But yeah. um, buildings are easier than people. That's a good uh, point. Easier than cars. <laughs> so buildings, buildings are basically big boxes with little boxes attached to them. So... And they don't move. They're static. They'll be there all day for you, all week if you need to be. I mean, it's it's good to just just start and and accept the fact that the drawing is not supposed to look good. Um, sit, look, study, and then when you get started and you get frustrated, think about why you're frustrated. What is it about that drawing that's making you so upset? And if you can if you can learn to identify mistakes, you'll know how to avoid them in the future. And that will, the consequence of that will be becoming a better artist. <laughs> right. Right. It's just, um, yeah, there, there's, there's so many resources online, you know, um, James Richards, he, he's an urban sketcher that, that dumps a lot of, um, instruction on the internet. You know, his, his Instagram, we can, we can include in the show notes. It's uh, uh JR sketchbook. He, he teaches very loose and quick urban sketching and, um, you know, he's got, he's got instructional books out. He's, he's a, a really good place to start as far as, um, consuming information goes and, and instruction. But, um, yeah, just, just draw, <laughs> just, just try it and, and see how it went and right. then go from there. It's like anything, you know, you, you, you start something, you, you can't over predict what materials and, and knowledge you'll need for something before trying it. You know, it's like, why, why bother getting a, getting a Lululemon outfit on your first, first yoga class, mm-hmm. like go to it and see what, what your stretchy pants can't do. <laughs> and, and I will, I mean, sitting here with you, I will confirm that you have a carpenter's pencil, mm-hmm. one brush and one bit and one pen. Yes. Um, so, you know, this idea that you need the exact model that the artist is using. No. I mean, it, it may mean it's interesting. There's a, um, there's a show on, uh, Apple plus, I think it is mm-hmm. with Jeff, Jeff Goldblum. Oh, and, he one of I think there's three episodes now, but one is about running shoes, mm-hmm. and part of it is he talks about you know Nikes and and he, he goes to a, a an L I think it's an individual in L A who made shoes just for Jeff Goldblum right these running right. shoes and this idea that when you put these shoes on, you know if you're a basketball player or uh, you know soccer or football. Um, that you are a better person, you're a better mm-hmm. athlete. I think that a lot of people look at art tools the same way, right? Mm-hmm. You, you get that 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 three hundred dollar fountain pen, you're going to be better. Now, th- th- there is a point to that where you know if you use not a great ink and mm-hmm. you throw the watercolor down and it smears, that's a problem. But I think people need to let go of that with when it comes to some of these tools and just enjoy what you have, right? And get those pe- yeah. ideas down. Yeah, that's just marketing. That's yeah. that's 
what what marketing is it's it's selling an unachievable lifestyle to the average person uh, who can identify with a product that will make them think they're that much closer connected to the person endorsing and using that product mm-hmm. that's that's just modern day consumerist marketing right so no getting the i i mean i use a joseph zabukovich uh, escoda travel brush and and at no point in my mind, am I thinking this brush is going to make me draw like Joseph? <laughs> um, it's just a sweet brush, right? And it and it folds into itself, and you can put it in your pocket. But so, yeah, the the yeah the the tools are not going to make the art closer to how the artist uses them. So, do you have any last comments or tips or suggestions for people who are person who's listening now? Yeah, draw. Um, if you if you like if if your lifestyle is full of travel and adventure. There's no excuse to not show your children or grandchildren a, a sketch diary of your life. That's it's awesome. Um, you know, some of the folks we were with in Palestine, the skateboarders there. I I told them and showed them that, and uh, they're like, "Yeah, like I travel all the time, like to different places. I'm like that would be a great thing to do is to have little drawings. You know, it's a if you just keep it's a it's a it's a diary. It's a it's a journal, and there's no excuse not to right. if you're exposed to cool awesome things just capture them so uh, so tom where can people find you online uh i've got a website uh captaintom.studio so i cleverly used dot studio instead of dot com it confuses a lot of people and Mm -hmm. uh, i also have an instagram account where i post daily sketches called at captain underscore tom awesome so i'll provide links to those in the show notes i wanted to uh thank you so much for uh, for coming out and uh, early Sunday morning in uh, cold Ottawa, sitting in a truck doing uh, this podcast. So I really appreciate your time. I learned so much, and I'm sure the listener will uh, will as well. So thanks again. Thank you. All right, appreciate it. Cool. Show notes, including links to everything Tom and I discuss, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm/slash seventeen. You can find links to all my social media accounts at drawinginspiration.fm. You can find links to all my social media accounts at drawinginspiration.fm, including my Instagram, which is Mike underscore Henley, where I post all my art. Follow me or tag me so I can see what you've created recently. Until next time, enjoy the holidays, be kind to one another, and keep drawing. See you in 2020. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. 